when you come on Sunday morning and worship and you say those words, those are unlike really words that you say any other time in the week. Aren't they different? God is pleased with your affirmation, but I want you to know that your heart is strengthened in that song. You say, God, you're trustworthy and I trust you. Thank you. And your heart is already strengthened and it's going to get more so. Have a seat. We're glad you're here today. A lot of you, most of you maybe know me. Some newer people may not. And you wonder, who's this guy? Usually Sunday morning, he's lurking around the sides of the congregation. Well, I'm Doug Self, Daniel's dad. I am Pastor Emeritus, which means has been. Rebecca and I, back in 1990, we started the church at Carbondale when Daniel was 14 and along with some others. And it name changed to Orchard 2009, and I stepped aside to send my retirement in 2013. So now I speak sometimes and uh, counsel during the week, uh, usually two to six individuals or couples. So I've got time uh, and space if you desire to have some help during the week. Now today, we're going to talk about, can I get somebody to bring my marker board up? Today... I want to share with you uh, a message that has been resonating in my heart, and I have shared with many, many people along the way, and I can tell you that it has undergirded many people's lives and relationships and transformed the way they live. Um, you may, let me ask you, do you consider yourself a good Christian? You probably don't, but you may have an idea of what a good Christian is as you look at other people. Usually those who think they're good Christians aren't because they are in the Believe and Behave Club, which is the Try Harder Club. You know, you get saved, I'm going to heaven someday, and by God, I am going to get this thing right. I am going to do what's right and not do what's wrong and get on the treadmill. And the problem with that is that you internalize those things that you should do and God wants you to do, and you try, it's exhausting, and then you fail, and you're afraid God's displeasure, and so you look around and find someone else who's failed worse than you, so you don't feel so bad. It's called performance-based religion. It's not what Jesus had in mind. Uh, recently, I did a funeral for a, a person whose family I met with, and I said, well, now what about his faith? And one of his relatives said, well, he wasn't terribly religious. I said, thank God, because I know some terribly religious people, and they're not fun to be around at all. <laughs> so we're going to look at what God intended when at the cross Jesus died to provide for us these benefits, because we're missing out on those. We're trying harder. We're on the treadmill and we're missing out because we're using our willpower, and it's a limited supply. We're going to look today at the resources and benefits that Jesus Christ purchased for you when he died on the cross. They're yours. They're your inheritance. And you'll find those as you look into the letters that start with Romans over in the back of your Bible. When you look at the letters, you will find a description of your inheritance. Now, I always mention when I come up that if you don't have one, you need a study Bible. The reason for that is a study Bible, an IV study Bible, 
has the same text as the Bible in the seat in front of you, but you notice at the bottom of the page, it has explanation about what's on the top. Some under, words that you may not understand, some direction. It's worth having it, and you want to use it until you have to duct tape it. See, that way you know you're getting the use out of it. But we're going to look at Philippians 4, 4 through 8, for one of the listings of the inheritance, of the benefits, of the resources that Jesus died to purchase for you. Now, sometimes you read in the letters, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and so on, and it's got a, a command. It's important that you understand that what you may perceive as a command is actually an empowerment. God would never tell you to do something without giving you the power to do it. Now, this is a tough one in Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Has anyone ever told you, stop worrying? Is that helpful? Does that usually help? You're like, oh, sure. Yeah, of course. I didn't realize. Thank you so much for telling me that. But that's what this says. Stop worrying. Understand. It's not just a command. Don't read it as a command. It's an empowerment that says you can live life without worry dragging you down. That's good news, right? That's a benefit Jesus purchased on the cross when he died. Look at the rest of it. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation that you usually worry about, by prayer and, and, and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you like that part? The peace of God that transcends all human understanding will guard your heart and mind from worry and fear. Does that sound good? Would you like to live a life like that? Well, it starts with, how do you know when to present something to God with prayer and petition and thanksgiving? How do you know when? When you worry. <laughs> when you have a worry cross your mind, you're like, oh, that smells like a worry. I believe I'm going to present this to God. Let him take care of that. I trust him like we sang a moment ago. I trust him. God, thank you. Now guard my mind. Does that sound like a benefit that's practical that you would like to live with? Does it sound like it's religious? No. It is a practical daily empowerment. And I can tell you that if you live your life free from besetting worry, you will be a much more pleasant person to be around. Am I right? Do you like to be around somebody who's worrying and fretting about stuff? Who's all anxious? No. And so now you know what Jesus died to provide for you. Now we're going to look at how we get these provisions we're going to draw a diagram. I want you all right now, take out your bulletin, open it to the middle. There's extra room for the sermon study. Now, humor me on this. It sounds simple, and you're like, I don't want to go to school. You will thank me as you do this. There are pins in the pockets of the chairs in front of you if you don't have one. Open it up. 
And get ready. And I want you to draw this illustration approximately like I draw it here on this board. And it will fit on your page. First of all, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to draw a circle. Everybody can do that. That represents the world. The world that we live in. Seven billion of us. That represents the world. Now, this next little critter represents you. So draw a stick figure over here on that corner. Wow, did you think you'd see this class of artwork when you came this morning? Draw a little stick figure, and if, it's, if you're a lady, you can draw a little skirt on it, a little curly hair coming out to make it your own. Now, we live in the world, and everyone in the world wants to go out and be happy. What makes you happy? What makes me happy is when things are going well, the way that I want them to go. People are nice to me. They do what I want them to do. They give me what I think I need. Well, everybody's doing that. And the problem is, is that of all of us, sometimes we run over each other in an effort to get what we want or we use other people. Because we are going into the world to get our needs met. Now, this next part is very precise. We're going to draw a tiny, tiny heart on the stick figure. Right there where the arms cross the torso. You got it? Now, if you're a mechanic, you're familiar with how they explode a part so that you can see a tiny part. And we're going to draw a big heart out there. Everybody got that so far? Now, the big heart is only there to illustrate what goes on in your heart. Everybody got it so far? Now, we know that we have basic human needs beyond the physical. We need breath and we need water and food. But beyond the physical, we have spiritual, emotional needs that we desperately need. And the first one is the need to love and be loved. Does it feel good to be loved? Does it feel good to be in love? Wow. Yes, love is one of our basic human needs. And we know, well, from criminal court cases a lot where the defendant is described as having been unloved in childhood and beyond, which led to disastrous crimes. We need love and we need worth or value. We need to feel like we're worth something, like I'm acceptable. I'm valuable. And we need security. Not just financial, but we need to feel that where we stand and how we make life decisions is a stable platform. And that it's not all going to blow up tomorrow. We need security. We know what it's like to be around people who are insecure, correct? They either are hiding somewhere, staying out of the way, or they're blustering to try to cover that insecurity. The fourth thing is significance. To feel significant. That my life has purpose. That my life has meaning. 
All right, so far so good. You got the circle, you got the little person, you got the heart out to the right. That represents a fuel tank, the fuel tank of your heart. In your heart right now, how full are you of love, value, security, and significance? Because we all go out into the world to get these needs met. How do we go out to get people to love us? We try to be acceptable and lovable. We try to do things that others will appreciate. We go into the world and say, world, am I lovable? (laughs) Well, not so much, actually. (laughs) Value and worth. We We want others to value us, that we feel worthy. We go into the world and says, Am I worthy? You're worthless. Not that anybody would actually say that other than, well, my mom said that some, but she, she just did it to motivate me. Don't, don't, don't get back. Am I secure in this world? Are you kidding? Am I significant? Do I have a purpose in this world that is making a difference? Unfortunately, as we go into the world to get these needs met, We don't get much from the world. It's very stingy. And so usually what happens, we're drawing right at the very, very tip of the bottom, just a little ripple. Most of us live on fumes. Very, very little in the tank. And if a person doesn't have the love, security, value, significance that they desperately need, they're going to go back into the world, and they're going to get desperate To get it, they're going to pressure people to love me. They're going to manipulate people to think that I'm valuable. They're going to force people to give me a a sense of significance. And how does that work for you? Not very well. Because the world is very stingy. (coughs) Excuse me. The harder you push, guess what? The harder you push people to get these met, what do they do? They try to get away from you, or they push back. And then sometimes you just get run over because somebody else is trying to get their needs met. It's a hard world. It's a hard world to live in. So, where's God in this equation? So far, all we've looked at is just the world. No God, just the world trying to get our needs met. So let's see what God has to say about all of this. At the top of your paper, write God. God is a being who is creative, relational, communicates, loves, feels. And when he made humankind, he made us to be creative, to be able to communicate, to love, to feel, and be in relate. He made us to love. You who have children, before they were born, You had thoughts of holding them and loving them. And when they were born, you just hold them and look in their eyes. You just love them. God wants that kind of relationship with us, even as we mature. But what happened is, is that this was broken as humankind in Genesis 3 decided, I'll go get my needs in the world. I don't need you, God. Now, no one really says that verbatim, and yet that's the way we live. We spend all of our time out here accumulating stuff to be significant, 
trying to protect our security, trying to earn worth and value and love. And yet we still, we're, oh, and by the way, it's worse. You just sprung a leak. So we're running low and we have a leak. So now God, what God desire was, he wanted, I'm making this huge channel here with an arrow on one end that goes from God to the heart. You got that? It's, it's uh, uh, empty in the middle to indicate that it is a, uh, like a pipe or a channel. There is one verse, John 3.16, that details that God provides all four of our basic human needs in one verse. How does that verse start out? For God so what? Loved. And so here's the first one, love, that God wants to provide from himself for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, if someone gives their son so you can live, what does that person think about your value? Equal to the one who died for you. Is that value? That, that is sky high. And so, a worth, we got that. So that whoever would believe in him, whoever would believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross and rose again, would not perish. Now, that's where the security is. We sometimes think perishing means you just go to hell and you die. And that'd be bad enough. But you've tasted perishing probably this week. You live in a fallen world, and you may have made some decisions that didn't turn out so well. It's a little taste of perishing. Or maybe you were rejected by some people, or at work, or at school. You're tasting perishing. And that's why we definitely need security from another world. But they would have eternal life, and that's the significance. Eternal life is not just quantity. It's not just going to heaven when you die. Eternal life is a quality of life that gives us significance and purpose. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Everything we need in one verse, now it's expanded on throughout the whole Bible, but it's right there. Why aren't we receiving it? Why aren't we just gobbling this up? Because there is a problem. The problem is there's a big bottleneck. There's a block at the top of all of our hearts called sin. Sin. Now, don't think about the old-fashioned definitions of, um, you know, just robbing stores and selling drugs and stuff. Sin is more than that. It's, well, yeah, I mean, killing someone, breaking a commandment, that would be sin. But why would you kill someone? What would be the motivation? If your self-interest desired something someone else had and they wouldn't give it to you, what might you do to that person? So you break a law because you're trying to get your needs from the world and they won't give them to you. That's why you steal. That's why you lie. That's why you cheat. I want you to write this definition down. 
If you've not even touched your paper yet, write this down. Sin is when we try to get from the world what only God can provide. Sin is when we try to get from the world what only God can provide. I look how atrocious that is. We try to get from the creation what only the creator can provide. I think one of the questions that I've heard most often as I present Christ to people in our valley is, well, Doug, I don't think I've ever done anything so bad that Jesus needed to die. We don't look at ourselves as bad sinners, do we? We think we're good people. So I ask them a question. I say, have you ever made a decision in your life based on what was best for you that hurt somebody else? There you go. That's sin. Have you ever said something to someone that based on your self-interest to get what you want that hurt the other person? Have you ever made a decision or a choice that caused hurt to your own life? You see, that's where all sin stems from. That's where the breaking of the law stems from because we are trying to get our needs from the world and the world is stingy and so we kill, we fight, we envy, we do whatever it takes to try to get those needs because we're desperate. What's a person like who is unloved, feels worthless, insecure, and insignificant? What's that person look like? What's that person's life like? Miserable. So they're trying to get it done. They may paint the outside to look okay, but there's misery inside. Fortunately, this is the good part. First of all, let's let it sink in. Have you ever done anything so bad that Jesus had to die for you on the cross? If you agree, just nod your head. Nobody's going to be counting or looking. Is that true? Give you a second to think that through. Because if you don't accept that, you're not going to appreciate the good part to come. Right? So we can all say, I have sinned. I've done stuff so bad that Jesus had to die. But thank God he did die and rise again because when he did, guess what? The cross breaks through and shatters that block. And now there can be a free flow of the resources by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you say, Jesus, I have sinned, I believe you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins and restore me to God, immediately that pipeline, that conduit is opened by the Holy Spirit and you can begin to be filled with his love, filled with a sense of value, filled with security and significance. And here's what it looks like when God begins to fill us. Let's say that we get up to about 80%. So I'm going to just draw a line across here. And, and we've we got about 80% of our basic needs met. What that means is, as you... Worship like we do, listen to messages, fellowship, as you read your Bible, as you pray. You are, in a sense, you are turning a solar panel to the sun. 
If you turn a solar panel to the sun, you get energy. But if you turn a solar panel to a rock, what do you get? Nothing. And so in your life, how can you turn your spiritual solar panel to the sun? Jesus Christ. When you do that, and he begins to fill you, here's what happens. Before you get out of bed in the morning, before your feet touch the floor, you are substantially resourced. You feel loved. You feel lovable. You feel valuable. You feel secure and significant before your feet touch the floor. So when you get out of bed, adequately resourced, and you go into the world, are you going to be different than a person who is diminished? You're not going to be going into the world desperately to get. You're going to go into the world with something to give. And you've got valuable resources in abundance. Someone may push your buttons, and you may have to use patience beyond your own because it comes from God, but you can just say, you know, I got plenty more where that came from. I have an inexhaustible supply. If someone acts like they don't love you, you're like, well, I'm sorry they feel that way, but I'm pretty much loved by God. I got a lot. And that kind of person is going to be receiving more sense of love from other people. It's the desperate ones that we kind of avoid. But someone who is filled with God's love, worth, security, and significance, that person is a person who has found a new identity. No longer is identity in how much stuff you've got, how many mountains you've climbed, how many rivers you've paddled. Your identity now is given to you by grace. You are a beloved child of God. You have a new sense of gratitude. Because God gave this to you because of Jesus' death on the cross. A new sense of contentment. How can you go into the world content and motivated at the same time? You're content because your needs are met, but you go into the world motivated to give to others who are deficit. And there are a few of those out there who will appreciate what you have to offer. And so you go into the world confident, humble, and compassionate. Let me ask you a question. If we drew a heart, heart uh, fuel tank over here uh, with just barely a little bit of love and value, security and significance, and that represented a person that you could be around, would you prefer to be around a person who is deficit on all of those needs or a person who is significantly resourced. What's this person like to be around? Well, people around you want this too. And you can, you can live that way. You can have what God has provided for you because Jesus died on the cross to give it to you. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 5. And by the way, one person in my life who really related to me how much God loves me was Steve White. Now, he was just a businessman, but he was an avid Christian who had suffered difficulties in his life, but he discovered that, Jesus, that God loved him like he loved Jesus. 
And he stimulated me as a seminary graduate to receive more of God's love. Unfortunately, Steve died this last week. Now, many of you know, uh, Steve was around here from the beginning of our church. Uh, and uh, several years ago, he began, he began to live assisted living in Arizona, Phoenix, next to his daughter. Dementia care. So he's not really known anyone or himself. And he began to fade, and this last week he died. We'll probably have a memorial service for him here. I think it's going to be on November the 2nd. So if you'd like to be involved in that. But how many of others of you heard from Steve? God loves you. How many of you? Yeah, there are a lot, there are a lot of hands raised because he shared that message. Romans 5. But God demonstrates, this is verse 8, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were our worst day, he died for us. And when God looks at you now, he doesn't see you through the last three bad things you did. He sees you through the last three things that Jesus did. Suffered, died, and rose again. Isn't that great to have that difference, that exchange? And then in verse 5, it says that because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the mediator of all these goodies that God provides that Jesus died to resource you with. I would submit to you, this is more what Jesus had in mind when he died on the cross, rose again, when he came to earth, I don't think Jesus intended to start a religion that was performance-based. That'd be a rerun. I believe Jesus died to reconcile us to the Father so we had an open relationship, open access to all of our basic needs by the Holy Spirit. If you look in Galatians chapter 5, it describes the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Now this means, fruit of the Spirit, what He provides for us that you can, ha <coughs> can have on a daily basis. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now let me just say to you, you can have joy even though things around you aren't going well, because your joy supply comes from above. Am I right? You can have peace when things around you are disturbing, because your peace is not dependent on your circumstances. It comes from above. And a person <clears throat> empowered with love and joy and peace <clears throat> in the midst of a difficult world is going to have something to give and make a difference. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You see, a person who's fully resourced is going to be less tempted to go out and break one of the commandments. I mean, when you've got, when you're adequately resourced, then you're less likely to go kill someone and get what they've got. 
because you've got what you need and you've got the way to go about it. Goodness, faithfulness, that means you can just keep going on and self-control. You see, this gets to living a good Christian life, so to speak, in quotes, not by willpower, but by his power that comes within us. And that's, all, that's really different. You understand how that could be different? And so you turn that solar panel toward the sun, receive what God has for you, and you live a life loving God, loved by God, and loving people. Now, why don't we get this? Well, let me give you what I think. We don't get it because we're so concerned. Most of our prayers are, God, get me what I want. God, change this situation. God, get me out of. When our prayers should be, God, change me by filling me with my needs. If you'll change the texture of your prayer from God, change things out here so my life will be better. And it's okay to pray those. But not primarily, God, fill me so that my life will bring more life to these people. I thought about how funny it was. See, these are supernatural powers, are they not? How many of you guys are into the superheroes? I'm not real familiar. The Avengers. What's an Avenger's name and power? What's the name of an Avenger and what's that Avenger's power? Thor, power of lightning. Okay. Thor, power of lightning. And what's another one? Or X-Men. I don't know. Whatever they are. This is good. Who? Superman. What's his power? He can fly and he's got strength. Um, who, what, who else? Spider-Man. Spider okay. Now let me ask you. If you looked at these superheroes in their costumes, but they had no superpower, what would that be like? It would be like Halloween, right? <laughs> I mean, it would be silly. There would be no movies about a guy dressed up like Superman who couldn't fly or leap tall buildings. How silly is it to have Christians who don't re rely on their superpowers? We're just like walking around in a costume. Jesus wants to wrap you in his arms, love you. Let you know how much he loves you and how worthy you are of his love, how much worth you have, how secure you are, and how significant your life is. Turn your attention to your heavenly Father to receive what Jesus died on the cross. Don't leave it on the table. It's right there for you. He provided it. Access acquired if today you have not yet dealt with this plug at the top of your heart, if you've not said to Jesus, I've done stuff so bad yet to die on the cross for me, but I receive you as my Savior today. Just say that to him. Go back to the prayer people and tell them, I received Christ today. If you need prayer to be able to understand and, and receive these, just open your heart. As you come to take the communion, which the bread represents his body, broken, his blood that was shed to provide all of this. Thank him. 
and say, God, forgive me for not drawing on the resources that you've already offered. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you that you made us in your image to be able to relate with you. And that when we turned our back on you, you were not content. You sent Jesus to die so we could be reconciled to you and receive all of our basic needs to enable us to live a full life here on earth and enjoy the world as it was meant to be adequately, appropriately receiving most of our needs from you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.